this morning, as I get myself prepared here, and there we are. Six weeks ago, I was asked to preach this morning. And so what I started out with is, oh, it's the end of the year. This is the last day of the year to cap off 2023, looking ahead to 2024. And I was going to have a really lighthearted, uplifting, encouraging message for you. And as I went through the process of prayer, God led me in a little different spot. It's not to say that it won't be encouraging. It's to say that God let me here in 2 Corinthians for a reason. 2023, for many of you, have been a very difficult year. And God led me to bring you to a passage today that my prayer would be to fortify you, to lay a foundation for you, and to show you where God works, not to relieve you necessarily from your suffering, but to show up and be there with you in your suffering. So today we're going to go through various passages, but the base passage is going to be in 2 Corinthians 1. And uh, we'll go ahead and read the text. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 11. Blessed, oh, before I start, I have an assignment for you. <laughs> My apologies. I'm a Bible teacher at heart, and I can't help myself. When you listen to this and read it through yourself, I have an assignment for you, okay? It is to see the pattern of word usage that Paul uses in this passage of Scripture. It's very important. So be looking for the pattern of word usage here. So that's your assignment Let's read the verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so, through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort, too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort." For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we come to Your Word. Pray that it go out in power 
with your Holy Spirit to bring comfort, to help fortify us, to give us a foundation. And Lord, I also pray that even though by electronic means that we use today, that any of these disruptions that we've heard this morning, we pray that they'll cease. But even if they do, I pray moreover for everyone listening that they do not become a distraction the power of your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We live in a wonderful yet broken world with living and dying, rebirth and decay, destruction, rebuilding, suffering, and celebration. Loving and hating, times of war, times of peace. Just like what the preacher said in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3-1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. The human uncertainty of life's circumstances affects us all equally, not only to those who place their faith in God, but also to those who have yet to do so. As we are taught from the book of James in the Bible, that we are not to boast for tomorrow, for we do not know what a day will bring. What we do know is that in our lives can change dramatically in the span of a single day. This became very apparent to me December of 2013, on the day I received the news that my oldest brother, Ken, suddenly passed away from a massive aneurysm in his brain. What affected me the most was not him passing away and me wondering where he's spending eternity, for I'm comforted that I know that he is with the Lord Jesus Christ in glory based on his faith in Christ while he lived on earth. What had the greatest impact on me personally was how fast he was gone from us. That hit me hard. My response, I turned to Jesus. And through a process of him leading me through his word, I changed my question from why, Lord, did you let this happen to how, Lord, do you want me to respond? This morning, I want to share with you from Scripture a scaled-down version. Believe me, it would take hours if I went through the whole thing. Scaled-down version of the process the Lord led me through to help comfort me and strengthen me during my time of comfort. But it's not about me. It's about the comfort that God gives and shows up at the time of your troubles. And I don't mean troubles from the law. I mean life's troubles. This morning, I want to share you from you Scripture a scaled-down version, Okay. So the main text is going to be from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. And I'm going to bring in some other scriptures as we go along. But basically, Paul is responding, is in his second letter, he's responding to the influence of false teachers that infiltrated the church that he planted at Corinth while he was away. These false teachers planted doubt in the church members, arguing that Paul suffered too much from what they had heard, to be a true apostle of the risen Jesus Christ, their argument was from a common cultural thought of the time that believed that if humans believed about human suffering, that if you endured suffering, you were cursed of God. Thus, invalidating Paul's message of the gospel of the Messiah. 
They further believed that a true apostle, what we would look back and call the super apostles, would be spirit-filled with the power of God to protect himself from human suffering. That false doctrine, simply put, means that a prosperous life was blessed of God, and conversely, a suffering life was a curse from God. Sound familiar? Elements of today's prosperity gospel? Well, it's nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years. I'm not here to talk about the prosperity gospel. I only point out that it was present during the time of Paul. Today, I want to shed light on the suffering side of this and the encouragement that we get. You know the question, why does God allow evil and suffering in this world? Many atheists today will argue that the presence of evil and suffering in this world proves that an all-loving, all-powerful God does not exist. They fallaciously argue something like this. Well, since evil and suffering exists, an all-loving God could not be all-loving if He allows it to continue. And God could not be an all-powerful God if He cannot stop evil and suffering from happening. Hmm. That goes on today. Furthermore, there are people, and people I've met, that, have not, that don't believe in God, find themselves very angry with God for the injustice of evil and suffering that's present in this world. As we continue, okay, the challenges, I'd like to challenge that way of thinking on a very high level. My questions are threefold. The first one is, with these people who are angry with God, that don't believe in God, why are these unbelievers angry with them in the first place? If they truly do not believe that God exists, but believe in the natural law of the survival of the fittest, then they should take no issue at all with animals and people simply obeying that law. Where did the sense of injustice of evil come from? The second point. Well, if a higher moral standard of, in, of justice did not come from God to contrast injustice, then where did it come from? Keeping true to the argument on the first point, it could not have come from natural law. And the third point, isn't their anger with God an acknowledgement of God? Possibly. It's a suitable place to start a conversation by suggesting that hmm, maybe their sense of injustice comes from where they don't expect. And you could lead them into a gospel presentation of where it does come from. The key element missing from this logic, this fallacious logic, is knowing and having faith in Yahweh and His overarching greater plan to redeem mankind from their sin and restore all creation back to God's original plan by ultimately doing away with evil and suffering that has plagued this world since the day sin entered the heart of mankind in the Garden of Eden. God has promised a new heaven and a new earth without sin through Jesus the Messiah. God the Father has provided a way through the sinless life, the atoning death, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus so that God can one day eliminate, do away with sin and suffering without doing away with us. Let that soak in a little bit. Sin so permanently permeates everything in our old nature, that if he got rid of sin, there are many people that would go away with it too. 
but he so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Meanwhile, back to the text. Paul's second letter, he refutes these false teachers by arguing that human suffering in God's economy, in fact, proves the existence of God and how God works and through said suffering. In your outline today, there are four points, three of which are from the text and a concluding benediction that summarizes the three points. And the three are, just to give you, so you could take notes if you're taking notes, the first one is to replicate God's character to give aid. Ephesians 5.1 says, therefore, be imitators of God's character as dearly loved children. This is what he calls us to do. The second one is rely not on ourselves, but on God's faithfulness, verses 8 and 10. And the third one is respond in prayerful partnership. And in conclusion, remember your eternal treasure in heaven. It's really important to keep that in mind, always. Because the life that comes crashing down on us can be very distracting and you'd be right in the middle of it and lose sight of the eternal purpose of things. The first step, verses 3 through 7, as we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we received ourselves, our comfort from God. We share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so that in Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are indeed comforted, it is for your comfort, for which we experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. And I need some water. Excuse me. Paul begins the passage by speaking highly of God and his character, by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. Paul clearly states that God the Father, God the Son, are one in deity. God's character is clearly noted as the Father of mercies. Now, this is a Jewish plea used in the synagogue at the time for God to extend His mercies to treat people outside the Jewish faith with kindness, with His kindness. The God of all comfort is a familiar messianic title used of the suffering servant of Israel in Isaiah, chapters 40, 41, 50, and 66, commonly referred to in the vernacular of the time as the consolation of Israel. Now, this should be familiar to you, In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, Simeon is waiting at the temple for the consolation of Israel to come, having been revealed by the Holy Spirit to him that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah, Luke 2, 25-32. The same title is used in John's Gospel when Jesus promised that another helper would come not leaving them as orphans in their time of trouble. Jesus said in John 14, 15 through 18, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because neither sees it nor knows Him. Notice the Him. (laughs) You know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. That was a revelation of the time. Because at the time, the Holy Spirit was with. Jesus was saying there will be a time where the Holy Spirit will be in you. That's remarkable. That came at Pentecost. The word used for helper here in John 14 is the title of the Holy Spirit. It is closely related to the word in the comforter used here in this text in 2 Corinthians 1. The Greek word paraclete. It's quite remarkable that you pick up on a pattern when we read the passage initially. There's a remarkable pattern in these four verses. Paul uses this word, paraclete, comforter, in his various noun and verb forms ten times in four verses. And six of those times, they're contrasted with affliction and suffering. Hmm. That's significant. And we need to understand why Paul used this pattern so frequently here. The meaning of the term comfort here in 2 Corinthians is not one of God providing us warm and cozy creature comforts to relieve us from the pain of suffering, although that would be really nice. But it means in the original sense to be the advocate, the helper, the intercessor, the consoler, the one summoned to give aid, called in for support, one who speaks favor for another. The main idea here is that the one who is able and willing to give aid in difficult circumstances gives aid to strengthen the one who is not able themselves to give aid during their difficulty. This is the characteristic of God that He wants us to replicate on behalf of others. We've received comfort, we comfort others. Paul is saying that God will come to you in your time of trouble to strengthen you, to give you hope. Jesus said the same thing in John 14, 18 that we just read. And here's an example from the Old Testament that clearly shows this characteristic of God of Him coming to you in your time of trouble. Isaiah 41.10 reads, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, Yahweh promises. Don't miss the two I am statements and the three I will statements in this verse, in this passage. This is a promise. Now, this is not the I am of Exodus 3. This is him proclaiming emphatically that he is our God. He will strengthen us. He is with us. He will help us. He will uphold us. 
not to relieve us necessarily from it, but uphold us through it, whatever comes our way. God does not abandon us in our time of need. He comes to us. Furthermore, God wants us to replicate His comforting character that came to aid us to come to the aid of others in their time of need. The pattern is simple. God, the comforter, comforts us in our suffering. Therefore, we, in turn, comfort others in their suffering. Took a little while for that to get over to the screen. <laughs> so in verse 4, God gives us the ability. The next point, God gives us the ability, the power. In fact, that word is dynamo, so we get the word dynamite from it. God gives us the power to comfort others. The ability is not our own. All we need to do to, to bring to the table is our willingness. And God will provide the ability at the moment of need to patiently endure. Now, a quick personal example of this is that Vicki and I, when our parents were at their final days of their life, um, we came to their aid to do things that beforehand we thought we probably you know, we'd think of doing. I don't know if we could do that. But an amazing thing happened that at the moment of need, God provided His grace and power for them to be comforted in their need. Um, this happened time and time again. One particular time, and what I'm, what I'm trying to convey here is not about my situation, but about the grace given in the little things, the little things. We don't have to go through this grandiose rescue plan. This is the little things like when my dad was 94, his mind was still sharp, he had esophageal cancer and he was his last days of his life. I came, we did our routine to help and all this other stuff. It was my turn and I noticed I went in and he had whiskers on his face and he always was clean shaven. Always clean. He didn't like whiskers on his face. <laughs> Not a big deal, I think. All his life he was clean-shaven. So I asked him, Dad, do you want me to shave you, your face? He just nodded. He's not able to do it. So I went and got a bowl of warm water, lathered him up, and I was face-to-face -face with my father as I was shaving his face that he could not do. That is what I'm talking about. That simple act. Little things. I'm not saying I'm great. I'm just saying that we're all able to do it because the grace of God comes to us at that time to do it. That was the most meaningful and intimate time that I've ever had with my father on earth. Your willingness to be available to come to the aid of someone else in their moment of need to comfort them. That is what God wants us to replicate. That's the application. Little things of life are actually pretty grandiose and awesome things in life. They can be. Don't ever take them for granted. Number two, God gives the measure of comfort equal to the measure of suffering. This means that the greater the suffering, the greater yet God's comfort. 
Another way of putting this is the greater your suffering is, the closer the Lord is to you on your behalf. All I'm going to say on this is that God has promised you this, whether you feel it or not. See, this promises are based on his promises that he will do it like Abraham believed. Abraham believed that God was able to do what he promised. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, that promise that we believe in is true whether we feel it or not. It's based on his promise, not our emotions. Number three, the comfort that the gospel gives has a cost. Persecution of those that share the gospel of Jesus Christ is in main view here in this text with words like affliction, suffering, and being hard-pressed. But it's not limited to just persecution because that word suffering has a broader scope. It includes physical, mental, and emotional trauma, illness, bereavement, just to name a few. Paul is saying that if we are afflicted, it's the price we pay for you to receive the comfort that the gospel of Christ's salvation brings. It's pretty simple. It may have a cost. Get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you will. God will use you in how he sees fit. Number two, the next point, rely on, not on ourselves, but rely on God's faithfulness. Rely not on ourselves, but on God's faithfulness. Verses 8 through 10. It says right here, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired for life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. In fact, we experience all kinds of hardships, trials, diseases from living in this wonderful but broken world present. Verses 8 and 9 state Paul was burdened beyond his strength that they despaired for life itself and they were under the sentence of death. What Paul is saying here is quite profound and powerful for today, for us today. The circumstances that Paul and his companions found themselves was a situation where they faced death itself. In fact, they're saying, this was it. Don't miss this. When Paul was face to face with death, in faith, Paul faced the one who conquered death. Let me say that again. When Paul was face to face with death, in faith, Paul faced the one who conquered death, the God who raises the dead, and relied on him solely. Paul writes of this faith in his letter to the church at Rome, Rome Romans 4, 16 and 17. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, 
who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, catch this, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. How big is God in your minds, in your hearts? How do you see God Almighty? Do you see Him as the one who raises the dead and calls things into existence that were not? That's a big God. That's what Abraham believed. That's who Abraham believed in. And if we have that same faith, come to Him. He will rescue us. Second one. The God of all comfort is greater than our suffering. It is nice to know that Jesus overcame the world. As the apostle John writes, oh, I missed a point here. I've got to go back and review this important point that I overlooked. God does not promise us that we'll be spared from suffering. In fact, he says we should expect it. Jesus fortifies our hope when he said to his disciples before he went to pray to the Father, I have said these things to you that in me you will have peace. In the world you, have, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now the last half of this verse is great segue to the next point, and that is the God of all comfort is greater than our suffering. It's nice to know that Jesus overcame the world. He didn't say that we might have trouble, we might have tribulation. He says you will have tribulation. So we are to expect that. But he said, but take heart. He has overcome the world. The Apostle John also writes regarding believers in Christ who are to test the spirits that don't confess Jesus as both God and human. He writes, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John 4, 4. And throughout the Psalms, the Lord is depicted as the ultimate stronghold for his people during times of trouble, particularly during the time of Israel's time of exile. Psalm 9, 9, and 10 say, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Do you seek him? He'll not forsake you. And the third point, we see the purpose of suffering is revealed in our reliance in God. Apostle Peter gives us a greater purpose for our suffering. He writes in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for now, a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved 
by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's awesome. The third and last point. Respond in prayerful partnership. Verse 11. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. First point, partner with God in your prayers. Now, you may struggle on what to say when you pray. (laughs) I'll just let you tell you right now that the greater struggle is that you pray at all is that you come to Him. So the first step is coming to Him. That's the struggle. That's where the war begins before you even pray is so that you do pray, let alone what you're going to say. So don't worry about what you're going to say. Come to Him in your own way. He wants you to pray in the first place. This is common. I'm no exception. Seek to partner with God in prayer. I just want to say, He would love to hear from you. Partner with those you comfort by praying for them also. When you pray for other people, you draw closer to them in their need, just like God draws closer to you in your need. So when you come to God in prayer, You know that He is with you, in you. But when you come to Him in prayer, you are now face-to-face with Him, more intimate. That's what He wants. And when you do that for others, you engage with them in their suffering. As Paul says in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Walk with them through it. And you will bring comfort. You'll see the power of God bring comfort. Draw closer to them in their need like God draws closer to you in your need. This kind of bond brings us together as brothers and sisters in Christ like none other. And don't forget that even though you may not see the outcome or the result of your prayer as you prayed it, does not mean your prayers are not in vain. Try to remember that although you are the benefactor of prayer, your prayer is primarily not about you and whether you you see your prayers answered in the way and time that you expected, but your prayer is simply drawing near to the great high priest Jesus with confidence in His mighty throne of grace with your adoration your burdens, your thanksgiving, and requests to make an appeal for God to do His glorious work in His time. Third point, partner in the blessings granted through your prayers. When you're engaged in prayer for others, you share in the blessing from God. In doing so, you partner in the heritage of God's blessing to Abraham, whether you knew it or not. 
that Abraham would be at once a blessing and be blessed. You're sharing in that same faith of Abraham. The faith of Abraham that brings you to salvation is also the inheritance that you share with Abraham in your prayer. That you could bless and be a blessing. And remember your eternal treasure in Christ. Now, this is a kind of a benediction of encompassing everything that we just talked about. Learn to keep an eternal perspective on things. Learn to view temporal circumstances with eternal outcomes. I'm going to read just a, one page over in 2 Corinthians this mindset and just listen. There might be up here. Ah, you do have it. Thank you. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, our weak and fragile bodies we live in. That's what he's saying. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe, so I spoke, we also believe, so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That word transient, by the way, is the Greek equivalent to the word havel in Hebrew, which means a vapor. It's here now and gone later. They're transient. Third point, that pretty much speaks for itself. Keep eternal minded. Learn to thrive where God has planted you. Thrive where you're planted. Now there's a photograph. This, look at this for a minute. I took this picture in 2010, early 2010, about 13, almost 14 years ago. I was working at a pulp and paper mill in Longview, Washington. 
And our project was to remove a bunch of these surge bins that were sitting on top of this building, which that is one of them. So I went to look at the instrumentation and how we're going to replace it, and I saw this, and it stopped me from working. <laughs> I was paid to do this, and I'm sitting there going, I'm examining this thing. And so on my phone at the time, I had an you know, old phone at the time, I took a picture of it. And this picture is posted in my cubicle at work as an inspiration for me always, and a conversation starter for those who I work with. Because people come and ask me, what is that? Well, I'll tell you what that is. That is a messy place where a little, weak, fragile plant hanging by a little piece of moss is thriving. It's not just sitting there trying to survive. Look how beautifully green that thing is. That is thriving in the midst of the muck it sees itself in. Now, we're not talking about thrive where you're planted as if it's a location, physical location of where you're at. Oh, I don't like this messy neighborhood. Boy, your room's a mess. All this other. No, I'm not talking about location. I'm talking about attitude of heart. Whatever situation you find yourself in, learn. It doesn't come naturally. Learn to thrive where God has planted you. Now, we see this and we ask two questions we ask in our situations. We find ourselves in some pretty messy situations, life situations that have changed everything. So the two questions you ask yourself, the scenarios are this. One, hmm, we hope that God would fix it simply by coming in and making it go away to relieve my pain. And the second scenario is, hope that the power of God would rest on me in my weakness through the trouble I'm facing to give an unshakable testimony of the reality of God to others of His glory. Which of these two would I naturally prefer? The former, of course. <laughs> Make it go away. <laughs> I'm hurting here. I don't like this. I'm not enjoying this. But the greater of the two is the latter, as Jesus promised. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And the Apostle Paul wrote the same thing in the same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he says, he had a thorn in his flesh. He pleaded three times. And he realized that this was there to keep him from being self-centered on himself. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, this thorn that we don't know. But Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, listen to this, so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content 
with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, meaning in Christ, I am therefore strong. This plant didn't last but two weeks after I photographed this picture. It was weak, it was fragile, and it wasn't there very long. But it was thriving. So the time that we have, whatever it may be, is not the issue. It's what we do in the time that God has given us. Because I see this picture right here of not only some people in our church, but people that I'm friends with outside Go Church, people I've worked with that are going through some life struggles. I'm telling you, they're life struggles. But I see this because the power of God is resting on them in their midst of their struggles. And that power is a testimony of the reality of God. Because who would endure such a thing otherwise? That is the testimony that brings glory to God. That is what you can take with you for eternity. And that is what God wants to show to a lost world. That in the midst of your mess, whatever you find it in, that the power of Christ rests on you because you are in Him. You know Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. Lord, this was heavy, but I hope it was an encouragement to some who hear this. To know that You are the God of all comfort who come to us. You will strengthen us. Lord, that is promised, whether we feel it or not. And we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.